Hey guys, what's up? It is week 255, and uh, before we start into the reviews, let you guys know that The Secret Top 10, Episode 3, will be live Sunday, and it's a doozy. It's Marcus Cook, the special effects artist, director, so yeah, uh, we had a lot of fun with that one, so hopefully you like it. It'll be up Sunday, and uh, give me some feedback on those and everything like that. I have uh, 10 of the 13 recorded already, and the other three... pretty much lined up so the first season's pretty much all locked in and i've been editing here and there and stuff so you know i have five up on the patreon right now and you'll have a third uh live on the the youtube channel and everything like that so yeah um hopefully you guys dig it and you're more than welcome to throw uh guests that you want uh to come back if you really liked them or or possibly new guests or stuff like that anybody I'm, I'm open to recommendations and everything like that so let's hop into the reviews and the first one up is the eight diagram pull frighter and i wanted to make sure i said that right for some reason i always wanted to put eighth or because a lot of these shaw brother movies they have like 36 shawlin and all these numbers and everything like that and i always get the names mixed up don't want to do that this is released from arrow films as alexander fu shang who actually died during the filming of this movie unexpectedly in a car accident it's a lot of special features of the movies and stuff have went over that and gordon Liu is in a bunch of movies and this i guess is towards the end of the shaw brothers run from my understanding uh they say it's kind of like they what do they mention on here the kind of twilight um yeah his studio's years twilight years is filmmaking powerhouse yeah so anyways i i've been watching a lot of these lately and this is one that always kept coming up where people are saying some of their favorites and uh, this one was one of the titles the eight diagram pole fighter so the opening is a doozy a lot of these they'll have these really cool opening credits that you don't really they're not necessarily actually happening but they kind of set up the plot and this one starts off like that but then we realize we kind of go right into it we have this big battle and this family is betrayed um and there's seven sons and one uh like father and right in the beginning they introduce all of them and their actors like, oh yeah so we got some big names here gordon Liu and alexander fusheng and then a bunch of people are just slaughtered and killed in this battle a lot of the brothers and they they die dramatically and you're kind of like oh wow so this is what we're kind of doing which is typical in the revenge style a lot of the shaw brothers movies are revenge movies well action movies in general and everything like that so we most of the characters that you're introduced to get wiped out right in the very beginning of the film and it's up to two brothers who have survived one of which who goes to a monastery and gordon Liu, and he he's he's violent and has all these tendency a violent tendency still and he still has revenge in his heart and these monks don't want him there of course and they kind of are shooing him away and everything but he kind of just refuses and alexander fusheng who goes back home but he's completely lost his mind and he has kind of a strange performance because usually his character is more like light-hearted in films like the chinatown king although that gets a little darker chinatown kid sorry and and some of the other ones that he's always had kind of like the goofy kind of like character because he's like the young one and everything this one it's it, it is kind of silly at first but because he's always trying to attack everyone but it's a little bit uh jarring and everything and i imagine that dying and filming in here he was probably supposed to have a bigger you know part in here from my understanding and step up and, and fight the baddies and everything like that so it's it's not over for the yang family because the bad guys are constantly after them they're not gonna let these two escape they know that there's not all you know have not all been killed so they're constantly harassing the family the mother and the two sisters that are still left and while they're all trying to protect their crazy brother or the brother who's went insane um well it cuts back with gordon Liu, who's like eventually kind of learning in this uh this monastery 
and like uh, a lot of the monks are like a lot of it is the training and stuff like that and they like have a really cool like training scene with um they're learning how to like uh, the, the, the like block wolf's teeth and everything like that and that plays into the end of the movie and that's awesome it's a nice setup it, it kind of pays off beautifully but uh yeah the pool fighting is is really kind of awesome because like again like they done so many kung fu movies and they always incorporate weapons but when you bring in a lot of the weapons you're always just kind of amazed at the kind of stuff that they can do with it um so the end of the film of course uh Gordon Lewis taking that vow as a monk, but there's going to be kind of some revenge here. And the ending is actually a really, you know, really cool fight scene involving some bamboo sticks. And uh, some people do show up that you don't expect. And it just kind of like in a really cool way, like I said, kind of that uh, wolf kind of deal comes back and thought that was very entertaining. As far as the special features are concerned, there is a slew of them, like usual. Oh, I should mention that it looked really good and sounded good, and uh, you can watch it in multiple languages, Cantonese, Mandarin, and English. Um, some of these I do watch in English because I feel it fits the movie, but if the, the dubbing is too off, I will definitely go back to the, the original native languages. So what we have here is um, a brand new commentary by Jonathan Clemens, author of A Brief History of China, newly filmed with appreciation by film critic and historian Tony Raines, who is in a lot of these. Um, interviews with stars Gordon Liu, Lily Lai, and Yang Ching Ching, filmed by uh, Frederick uh, Armbrosini in 2004. A tribute to Fu Shang, a short film commemorating the late actor that played uh, before early screenings of the Eight Diagram Pole Fighter, uh, presented via a German dub Telesini, the best available copy with English subtitles. Alternative opening credits as the Invincible Pole Fighters theatrical trailer and all that. So yeah, anyways, uh, like I said, this is a really cool movie um all these shaw brothers movies are usually kind of revenge driven and i'm a big revenge uh fan of this stuff and yeah like i said there's a lot of training here but there's a lot of like politics with the bad guys going after him and everything like that and uh, a lot of screaming traitor 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 but uh there's a good payoff at the very end and uh there's some people that get killed that you really kind of don't expect but uh yeah this is a good one um and it's very gory in the beginning especially you think like kinda, it is like the very bright paint blood but it's well worth your time and i thought this one was really solid from arrow films okay the next one up is another arrow release and this is come drink with me another one that i had always heard uh uh, good things about when I asked about uh, for Shaw Brother recommendations and everything like that. Uh, yeah, so this one's a little earlier, much earlier than the last one that I just talked about. This is, I believe, in the late 60s. So um, although the picture quality and the stuff, you'd be hard-pressed to be able to tell like kind of the difference for me. A lot of the Shaw Brothers movies have the same quality, the same look and everything like that. So come drink with me. Uh, I actually really thought this was one of my favorite Shaw Brother movies I've seen. Um so what happens is essentially we have these um, this this guy who's kidnapped by this gang, um, and they're like they're, they're like there's like five leaders. They all go by the leader names, and they're ki this guy is kidnapped by this gang. They uh, kind of attack him, and in the very beginning, and they, they kind of show that they're badasses. And the five leaders of this big gang all have like unique looks and unique fighting styles, somewhat more more based on their looks. I mean, one does have a sword and everything like that. And they kidnap this guy, and they're gonna hold him for ransom because they want to kind of put him up. Um, he, he's uh, what is he? He's like uh, I can't think of his actual position, but he's higher up and he's of importance uh kind of like a you know royalty i guess you'll say to a certain extent and um they want to put him up and exchange him for their boss um so what happens is uh the guy's sister shows up but she's disguised as a man and no one knows she's like this golden swallow which this gang is afraid of they've had trouble with before they mention that and 
she essentially starts to kind of like uh, work her way in and she plans on rescuing her brother and she um, and she starts to have some help from somebody in the gang who appears to be like this drunk beggar but uh, looks can be deceiving of course and that's a lot of Asian movies they always have like the drunk beggar but the drunk beggar is a little bit more you know intelligent or has tricks up his sleeve even think the Zatoichi movies where he's like a blind guy so you're like oh he's not going to be able to do anything but He's very smart and, and he's very like clever and everything like that and has a lot of skills that you don't really see coming. So that's similar with the beggar. So uh, essentially, um, there's there's a lot of fighting between them and a lot of helping and kind of back things going on and everything. So back dealings. But eventually what happens is there's a giant showdown in the rocks and everything. And somebody comes back from the beggar's life that, uh, you know, has a direct connection with him. And it gets a little bit more complicated. But what I truly loved about this movie were the bad guys. The the five kind of leaders, uh, they actually go by like Master 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And the absolute highlight of the movie was the jaded tiger. He is very pale. He wears like, he's very like vain. He has this white outfit that he always has and he's very fast and he just has a great fighting technique a great villain demeanor kind of like in those ways like the really like uh like like gaunt and pale and just uh evil evil son of a bitch characters and he does one of these things in the very beginning of the movie where he kills this young monk kid with poison and like then he hasn't been taken out of his misery and it's just like oh this guy is a monster exactly but i I just thought that uh the bad guys were great and and that's kind of what i gravitate towards similar to like uh a spaghetti western who they always deliver the villains and they always deliver the revenge and the action and i i would compare these shaw brother movies a lot to the spaghetti westerns in in terms of how they make me feel i i've never disliked any of them that i've watched some i like more than others and this is definitely one of the ones that i would put higher near the top um but i would watch this in its native language because the english dubbing is really really over the top and it's usually not as over the top as some of the other ones but this one was particularly over the top um as far as the special features are concerned we have a brand new audio commentary by film critic historian tony rays again um he did the i think he had a video on the other one interviews with a star chang pei pei um an interview with star yang hua um these are from 2003 and 2007 um interview with star chang hulo and that's 2003. Talk uh, story with Chang Pei Pei, a 2016 Q&A at the University of Hawaii, moderated by George Chung ha, uh, Han Wang. Cinema Hong Kong, sword fighting, a documentary in the history of the Wuxia genre. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly. It's W-X-I-A. And Shaw Brothers can contributions to it uh produced by celestial pictures 2003 featuring interviews with chang pp gordon Liu, lar Car uh, car lang john Wu, samo hong kara hu david chang and others now this kind of um they kind of explain a little bit what that is. Um, years before the Shaw Brothers Kung Fu films made them the biggest film studio in Hong Kong, local audience flocked to their uh, Wea Pying films. Mystic tales of sword fighting and often gravity defying heroes fighting for honor. Um, in, this, in his final film for the studio, Come Drink With Me, director King Hu, A Touch of Zen broke fresh new ground in martial arts storytelling and catapulted fresh-faced lead actress Cheng Pu Pei Pei to stardom in the process. So there is like a lot of ma- magic angle to this, like wind blowing and everything. 
and that's really cool. But uh, like I said, the fighting is also really uh, excellent. I, I they do have a really great fight scene over like a pond. Uh, these two characters with the beggar and someone else, and they're like jumping across the pond and and everything like that. And I thought that was really effective. But again, the highlight to me uh, is that uh, there's a lot of badass females into the Golden Swallows are definitely the most powerful overall characters in the movie. I mean, as far as a group is concerned. But uh, yeah, uh, the the one standout to me was uh the uh jaded tiger just because he was such a great villain and that's the kind of villains i gravitate towards you know like skinny gaunt evil you know uh people that are pale and they're just uh i, I enjoy them quite a bit and i also like the big goons too and they, like the bad guys are really well set up and and like similar to like the boxer from shang tuang you know who all the bad guys are and um and like we're gonna have this big fight scene at the very end and there's gonna be a lot of casualties so good stuff with come drink with me and i should mention that this is a musical too there's a couple musical numbers because the beggar kind of travels with this group of young kids and he, he like provides for them and everything like that uh, to help his disguise but also he has a, a, kind of a good nature to him and uh, like they're in the restaurant and they sing like songs about begging and eating and all that kind of stuff so anyways um, come drink with me really good stuff really recommended from Arrow Video okay the next one needs no real introduction here but this is the Steelbook 4K edition from Arrow Films of Robocop um, of course 1987 I covered the uh, special edition of it um, a while back from Arrow and I thought it was an excellent release of one of my all time favorite films. As far as the 4K upgrade is concerned, I made sure that uh, it was really quiet in the house it was laid, all the lights outside you know, it got dimmed down, got dark, I turned off all the lights I sat down to watch Robocop in 4K, it looked excellent the sound came in wonderful, Dolby Atmos, if I'm not, there was a, I believe yeah, Dolby Atmos sounded excellent on here um, and it just looked, uh, it looked amazing. You could see like all the graffiti and the city scenes um i don't know how much more i can say about robocop as far as the film is concerned i think it's an absolute masterpiece i think it's one of the best paced action films ever once you look at it like there's not one second in robocop where i am bored i love nancy allen in the film I love, um, you know, Peter Weller is great, uh, but everybody in this movie is fantastic. It's endlessly quotable. It's it's uh, darkly humorous. It's satirically brilliant, and it is just has some of the best action and gore for this kind of movie ever. It, it, I mean, sci-fi action in the the late '80s and early well, the '80s and the early '90s was some of the best stuff as far as that's concerned has ever been made. Like if you look at, I mean, Total Recall came out around the same time, and we have Predator and Terminator. All that stuff is just and Aliens is, is such a just a, a perfect films and this I think sits at the top of the heap of them really to be honest so like I said besides Peter Weller and Nancy Allen we have Dan Harity who uh, who pops up at Halloween 3 I probably said his name wrong I always have trouble with the Harley the Irish name on there we also have um, Ronnie Cox Miguel Ferreira um, freaking Kurtwood Smith and what I think is an Oscar winning should have been an Oscar winning performance we have Paul McCrane um She's um, Ray Wise. There's a bunch of people in here. So uh, the bad guy, of course, the plot is uh, it takes place and it's kind of be semi to the, a little bit in the future in old Detroit, which I also love being from the not Detroit area, but not too far away from Detroit. So it's been a, a presence in my entire life, to be honest. So. We have, like, crime is at an all-time high. There's this kind of, uh, you know, uh, for-profit company, OCP, that runs the cops. And uh, basically, 
you know, they're getting creamed out there. There's so much crime on the rise. Cops are getting killed. And essentially what we have here is they're trying to create this kind of robot program, robotic police officers and everything like that. And we see some of the kind of the deals on it, like Ed 209, who, um, um, who is it? Dick Jones, basically, um, as making he's kind of a guy that works at ocp he's ronnie cox in uh, a villainous role of course and we have uh this cop this rookie who gets put into this area he's brutally murdered his first day on the job and he is used to be put in this other program the robocop program and he comes back and he still has some of his old memory and of course he goes after the bad guys that uh caused him the pain and the bad guy crew is, is probably my favorite like gang that you put together um and this movie is it, it, i don't understand how they managed to get to this over the top level of extreme violence and still keep it to the point where it was not um stupid like it is it's over the top in a way especially you know they're talking about the the toxic waste scene and you're just like this toxic waste, this barrels, this tank sitting out in this industrial area that's this toxic waste on it. And it's such like a 1980s, early 90s thing to do with like the over the top pollution, you know, stuff that was like being like put out there and tried to save the environment stuff growing up. It was very prevalently there. So like as a kid seeing this, I was just assumed that there is giant vats of and tankers of toxic waste just sitting everywhere. But that scene is so insane and so gory and so over the top that by the time you get to it, you're like, I can't believe we're doing this and i love every second of it but it has a lot of like satirical stuff too like the casual mentions on the news of several people dying the 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 basically the nuclear war uh, battleship game that's played for laughs and, and just the lack of human empathy in the film in general is a very satirical dark take on you know uh where we were heading and the funny thing is uh, the great sci-fi movies usually predict the future and robocop really does because we have uh from what i understand and possibly robot dogs that they'll be using on the border. So it's just insane to think we're going to have a bunch of Ed 209-like things running around kind of securing the border from now on. That's just crazy. But uh, anyways, this it's loaded with features. It looks fantastic at 4K. The sound is excellent. And I love the, the Steelbook. I'm not huge in Steelbooks, but I love the original kind of cover art here. This looks very similar to the VHS. Um, and like I said, like it, it's one of these worlds, like the movie takes place in one of the worlds that crime is absolutely rampant. Um, kind of like the death wish series or hobo with a shotgun where it's like, if you go around the corner, you're going to be mugged. You're going to be raped. Um, but usually like, and hopefully there's a RoboCop or a Paul Kersey there to shoot the guy in the dick. Um, so here's what we have here. The 4k ultra steelbook contents. So this has, um, Director's cut and theatrical cut. If you guys don't know the difference, uh, the Ed 209 scene is much gorier in the director's cut and uh, uh, Murphy, Peter Weller, uh, before he when he's killed as Murphy is much gorier as well. The hand explosion completely goes off. Um, so this is what we have here. We have, of course, uh, Dolby Vision HDR 10, which is new. Um and this is the 4K restoration of the film from the original camera negative by MGM transferred in 2013 and approved by director Paul Verhoeven. Um, and it has, it, it, we have um, four channel mixes plus DTS HDMA 5.1 and Dolby Atmos surround sound options on both cuts. So we have English subtitles, of course. We have a 44-page uh, collector's book uh, on here. And then we have a lot of the special features that were on the other disc um, beforehand, which is a slew of stuff. There's several commentaries. There's a lot of little documentaries. There's a tribute to composer Basil Polandoris, which is one of my favorite scores ever made. Literally, this is an excellent disc, um, and it looked fantastic. Uh, and, yeah, it's just amazing that they went through this and everything like that. Uh 
if you guys are not familiar with this movie, I, I can't see anybody really disliking it, even on a first-time view. And if you do, like, I just don't think we're on the same planet. I'm sorry, I know. Like, I, I it doesn't mean anything. It just means that uh, one of us is an alien. But, uh, yeah, nice booklet here. Lots of pictures and everything. And just uh, the amount of carnage and violence in here and the endlessly quotable stuff. This is what I'm talking about here. We have toxic waste and meal on here. Um, one of my friends actually bought me that figure and I put it on my fridge. Uh, it says toxic waste punk, which <laughs> cracks me up. But, I mean, this is a classic. I mean, there was toys to it as a kid for me. I remember having toys of uh, RoboCop and some of the goons. Um, there's also uh, two bigger sequels of RoboCop 2 and the third one by Fred Decker. And then we had two lesser-known sequels. And if I'm not mistaken, there probably was even a television series at one point. But uh, RoboCop, it's a classic. It's on 4K. If you're an absolute uh, hardcore fan of the film like myself, I would say you should pick it up. I mean, uh, this is one of the movies that you kind of have to have in 4K, for me, for me at least personally. But yeah, yeah great film. Parver Hoven uh, is an amazing director, and this stands as one of my personal favorite films ever made, RoboCop. Okay, we're going to move to the next uh, film in the Claude Shaw brawl uh, box set, Lies and Deceit. And this fourth one in here is going to be Betty. Um, what year was this made? I want to make sure I get it right. I believe a lot of these were all made in uh, like late 80s, early 90s. This is 1992. And uh, yeah, again, uh, all these movies have yet to disappoint. I thought all of them were very good, and Betty is no different. So this structurally is a, is a really interesting movie. So we kind of open up with a, a woman who's in a bar. She's kind of leaving with somebody, a doctor, and she's really drunk, and you don't know much about her. Um, she doesn't, she's not talking very much, and um, so she she's um like she's having this conversation with this doctor and he starts to get really weird with her and she keeps ordering scotches and everything and, and just like a really strange place she's at like this whole this weird dive bar where there seems to be a lot of people that have a lot of money though but they're just kind of lonely and sad and, and a lot of weird characters in general so what happens is um, before anything really bad can happen with this doctor who obviously has some mental problems uh, an a older woman kind of helps her out and the person that runs the place they kind of take her out and then she wakes up in this apartment like this uh this hotel and um they kind of they, she kind of like nurses her back to health and everything like that and as the movie progresses we have this storyline going on and we have flashes that go back through her entire life and kind of almost like three different storylines here the first one would be kind of like starting off her very young every time she tells a story about herself starting really young meeting with her her dad and her mom and all that kind of stuff and moving and living with other people and everything and kind of you see these things that happen in her life that kind of set up who she is and why she is in the situation she is in now and everything like that and then we also have the storyline that as it goes on it starts to get closer to the events that led her to where she's at now her current situation with her husband and, and everything like that and like I don't want to get into depth with it and everything but it basically it, it shows you who this person is from their past similar to kind of like I feel like Madame Bovary, it's not like it tells this entire life of her and that was the last one I covered in that set in an interesting way and I think this one structurally is even more interesting and again it takes these characters who are very flawed and have a lot of problems and, and could and hurt people they do hurt people and um, they have like maybe I don't even want to say sociopathic tendencies in a way I mean but 
you you are really intrigued by their life and who they are and all this kind of stuff. Visually, it, it's an excellent looking movie. Again, it, all five of the movie, four of the movies out of the five so far have this kind of, I don't even want to call it blue because I always hit, hate on blue movies that just suck the color out and call it blue. You know what I mean? Like, but the, this is before that kind of like stage when they would just drain all the movies of color. So it's like literally the cinematography, the lighting, all that stuff is great and well professional and there's deep colors and stuff and hues and it just looks really good. I don't want to say it's drained out, but it does have this gloomy feeling to it but uh not only that like you you learn her true nature and, and it's what well, i guess i've heard this been said a while a couple times i think on podcasts they say when somebody shows you who they are believe it and she tells directly a couple people who she is and they still want to help her they still want to be with her and then she goes and does exactly what she told you she would do so it is a lot of elements in that way but um it's an excellent performance by her it's, it's top notch it's it's great um I thought she was excellent in it. Um, in fact, the acting for the most part is all great. There's no no weak points in acting or storytelling. I think the storytelling is perfection, honestly. It's, it's what makes the film so strong. Um, but it, it is kind of a, a depressing and sad movie at the same time. Uh, adapted from the novel, the same name, uh, Marguerite, author George uh, Simononi, Betty is a scathing attack on the upper middle classes featuring extraordinary performance from Mary uh, Triganot as a woman spiraling into alcoholism but fighting to redeem herself. So, um, there's special features are concerned on here. We have a new commentary by Cat Ellinger, who's excellent. Betty from Samano to Shabral. A brand new visual essay by French cinema historian Jeanette uh, Vinde. Um, French is probably the hardest language for me to do, of course. Interview with Ross Schwartz. A brand new interview with English translator of the uh, George uh, Seminole novel on which the film is based. Archive introduction by film scholar Joel Magny. Select scene commentaries by Claude uh, Shabral. So yeah, anyways, uh, I, it's hard to rank these. I've enjoyed all of them quite a bit. Um, and, and no negativity on any of the films in here. But this one, I think I liked it uh, pretty close to the level of Madame Bovary or in the other two. So uh, no, no weak points in the set so far. And next week I'll finish the final, uh, Torment. But uh, yeah, this is a great film. And I'm, I'm catching a pattern here. I know a lot of people say, why can't they make anything original? They're remaking all these films, but a lot of movies were based on novels and stuff, and I know people don't always like that, but I've seen a lot of like 70s movies and 80s and even 90s movies that were based on novels, and they've all been really solid, and, and a lot of them are well-respected, maybe lesser-known novels a lot of times, you know, but uh, like what was the one that I watched with... Um, uh, Walter Matthau and Bruce Stern, where uh, that The Laughing Policeman, I believe that was a novel, and it was a really excellent film. So, you know, not everything has to be a super high-profile novel, or have I, I don't know how high-profile it was and when it came out in 70, 71, but I'm just saying, um, you know, it's not so bad to make an adaptation from a novel. I, I would certainly like to see a lot of stories that never been told on the screen instead of the, you know, 30 or 40 remakes. And I'm not anti-remake, you know. If it looks bad, I just won't see it, or unless I hear a lot of good things. But anyways, this box set is shaping up to be a really excellent box set. Um, four out of four so far, and we're going to finish the last one next week. Okay, here we go. Symbolicus, Volume 1. And this is a horror anthology with 13 different directors in here. So bear with me. Uh, Marcus uh, Cook and Jesse Seitz put this thing together. They both have shorts on it as well. So now, like I said, every time I cover an anthology film, no joke, I I'll, there's like four or five shorts on there. 
I will forget one or two. Even if I enjoyed it, I don't know. It's just getting old. So bear with me. All the directors are listed on the back, and I'm going to try to run down all of them. With an anthology, it's very difficult to do anything but kind of run down the story and give your positives and negatives. Very short and quick. So Patrick Fortin, his short was the first on there, Square, and I believe it was just kind of like a surrealistic kind of trippy thing, uh, some murder and everything. And by the end of it, I figured I, I kind of would want to see the footage on Messed With to see kind of what we have going here. But there is some nice visuals in here and some some cool stuff i don't know if it, it's a, maybe a little too long or anything like that but um to be experimental like that i think it's best that it is a short i dig that joe meredith who does a lot of cool stuff involving like creatures like southland hill district or stuff like that i can't think of all but he did like three shorts that i thought were really cool with great monsters and visuals and desolate wasteland stuff like that thought that was really well done but uh for his movie this one it's a little shorter than i would like you know i wanted more we get kind of a glimpse at that rundown city look and, and like a little creature tentacles and stuff like that. I, I wanted more by the end of it. I guess that's better than saying I wanted less. Casper uh, Joel, his was a, kind of a, a story where you could see where it's going, but it was well done and uh, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. We kind of have these this woman who's taking care of this guy who's mentally you know not there, and then her friend comes over. They look him up and they find out that he has kind of a creepy past, so, and they're kind of screwing with him, and you kind of know where it's going to go. I think it's a effective i mean it's kind of a lot of people are like well i wanted something different with the short but it's like dude it's a short and i think it's effective it's well done it's it's well made so i don't know exactly what you really want um the next one is a spiral by michael todd schneider aka maggot and this one starts off really weird like webcam and stuff and he's talking uh, like uh, it appears to be a relationship and it's really shaky and obviously that something's going wrong and then we kind of have this descent in the madness where we kind of just see like almost like this character you know boxing and and then fighting and naked and stuff. And the overview shot of the boxing stuff reminded me a lot of something that uh, Shinya Tsukamoto would do in like his, his uh, fist. Uh, what was that? Tokyo fist or something. Just like the the sweat and the punches. It's a, the, the over angle was really w- effective. But uh, the end of this one, it, it, there's a murder in it and uh, has Harry Collins in there. And I, uh, I really enjoyed that one. And I thought that uh, Harry Collins face when he hears a lot of the weird fucking sounds going on was, was really effective. So this is uh, my favorite of the short so far in here. Next, we have Marcus Cook, who, of course, you know, does a lot of movies like Rot and Fell and uh, Bloodshock. And he's a special effects artist. And people are probably thinking, oh, his is going to be this all out gore fest. And his was like a really trippy, edited, disturbing kind of drug use and, and using a lot of repetitive lines that get stuck in your head. I only have enough for me. It was actually kind of disturbing. It just kind of made me feel a little ill, which is, I think, what it's going for. Then we have Jonathan Doe, who did like uh, The Degenerates. And I believe he did Barf Bunny. Those two movies, I still need to see those. And his was kind of like a really well shot deal where we have this uh, this naked woman wandering in the, the wilderness, kind of like that. And she has like what appears to be some sort of vagina face on there. Think like, you know, uh, Bad Biology by Henenlotter or something. And she buries these little fetuses and she digs up these things. It's, it's uh, obviously like some symbolism and all that kind of stuff. Uh, well shot. I don't know how much I got out of it. Not poorly done or anything. Then the next one is Grushias Gowenner, who I, I exactly, I believe this is the 
Caligula one that's more of a comedy beat. I did not like it. I did not find it funny, and it's in the woods, and it's it's kind of my least favorite in the short. Uh, Matt uh, Zolkelly. Um, now, I don't remember. These are where I have uh, Jeff and Jeff Sennon. These ones are not. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, they're coming to me now. One of them, I, I don't know who did what. Uh, Matt, I think, did the serial killer one with the uh, the, the castration, which I thought was a kind of standard, low-budget, gory serial killer thing. It was okay. No, no negatives, black and white. And then Jeff Shannon was the animated one. I might be mixing those two up. And this one, I, I thought the animated one was really fun. It was a very strange, kind of like done in um, Dante's Inferno style. If anybody's seen that animated, kind of weird stop-motion paperclip kind of things. It was funny. I enjoyed that one. It was kind of a, a mind trip. Then next up, we got James Bell, who did a bunch of stuff like Tantrum and all those, and Dog Dick. And his one is, is very typical of his, which I enjoy his stuff. It's like the weird, gross special effects he does. And like these weird kind of, again, I would put his and Joe Meredith kind of in the same world of like this desolate wasteland where there's people that are deformed and mutated and killers and it's got like a shot on video aesthetic decent one I thought was pretty cool and a little creature in there biting things next up we have Sydney Meredith Joe Meredith's wife and hers is a lot different from Joe Meredith's films it's like this weird cult kind of trippy music video thing with a lot of like uh you know satanic shit and, and rituals and visually it looked pretty cool I enjoyed that one cool stuff next we have Jesse Seitz which is the shortest I think it's like about a minute or so and it's almost just kind of like a re real weird trippy kind of surreal thing of like a, a stalker or killer's home videos that are edited and weird like noise kind of stuff like that and final we have victor bonacores which is the longest i think probably about 20 minutes and it's definitely i, I don't want to say the most ambitious because like uh as far as like i, I would say ambitious in, in, in terms of like cast and crew and footage and scope i would say because there's tons of people in this and it and it's it's a very strange one. It, it has like a element of c comedy or zaniness or weirdness that's in there um, that I would compare to something like uh, Brian Williams and um, Brian Williams film like Jesse's super average regular day or something like that. But it's just a little bit darker maybe to a tinge to it. it has a lot of familiar faces in here. You'll see Linnea Quigley, Aaron Aaron Brown, um, some other people, uh, Cody Lee Harden. So there's Victor Bonacore stars in it himself. So there's a lot of familiar faces in here from kind of like uh, you know Victor's a lot of his other movies and Underground World like that. Um, like I said, it's really weird and strange, and I don't know exactly how I feel about it. I appreciate its uh, you know ambitious ambition, and I. It has like this element of like kind of a weird world, or you don't know if it's such a strange world, and it's like making these people crazy, or this person's crazy, and that's how they see the world, or a little bit of both, whatever the hell. But um, the one thing that I, I thought was pretty cool was they incorporate these home videos. Now I don't know if Victor Bonacore has like a young uh, brother or nephew or something that looks a lot like him, but I feel like obviously it's supposed to be him and, and, and stuff like that. But it could be him in old home videos, and you know there's photos of his father and stuff like that. So it seems like a very personal little kind of movie to him, and and also crazy and, and emotional. And he's a star, and he has like a, does a lot of range of emotions in here and everything like that. So it's really weird. I don't know how to go about it. So. That is Symbolicus, you know, 13 shorts. Um, yeah, and they're all by, you know, shapes of some sort. Uh, there's a volume two as well, and I, I do have that one, and I will dive into it when I get a chance. This movie is like an hour and 49 minutes, so it's a lot, and there's a lot of stuff going on here. And, uh, you know, this is the first time I made sure that I remembered every single sh every single short on here of 13 shorts. So there we go. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of familiar names on here that I've seen a lot of their work, and I appreciate their work and what they do. So if it's interesting, 
interest you, if you if you're into indie or underground cinema, then check out Symbolicus. I know you can get it from Marcus and a slew of these other directors and filmmakers on here as well. So yeah, uh, it's it's wild stuff. Next up is the Patreon pick, and uh, this is a pick by Jason Willard. And uh, yeah, you know, I ha I had to watch this for something else. So when this came up, I was like, well, two birds, one stone. Um, and this is getting a release June uh, in June from Jeez uh, 88 Films in the UK, and I pre-ordered the bad boy. But for now, I have this a Blu-ray bootleg of the Seventh Curse from 1986, and my Fortune Star DVD I apparently never opened. But remember these cool Fortune Star window box here? Uh, yeah. So this is a rip, I believe from a fortune star blu-ray i i don't i bought it from a website years back and the blu-ray i believe has some weird issues of lagging and stuff like that so this is by the same director uh as the cat and story of ricky his movies are absolutely wild if anybody's seen story of ricky and the cat but the seventh curse is an hour and 20 minutes it's it's non-stop action and and weird uh adventure stuff and monsters and curses so chayo fat is in this but he's not the main star he is he is a supporting in here so we have here is I believe he is like a doctor of some sort, and uh, I don't remember exactly his position, but at the very beginning, he's involved in this like robbery. He helps stop this robbery, and there's a reporter there as well, and uh, it's like this weird action, like shootouts and all this crazy shit happening, but then like he, he realizes he has like this curse, and uh, he goes to Chow Young Fat for help, and he tells him, well, you how, how did you get this curse? And he, we have this flashback, this crazy elaborate flashback, which feels like kind of like an Italian jungle adventure movie, but like more crazy with actual monsters and like weird curses and shit. So we find out he was cursed and, and as, as well was another woman there because he like uh, was involved, like got in the way of this like ceremony or some shit where there was like this giant floating baby fetus thing and this other God that they were trying to resurrect. And it's just fucking bonkers where people are killed and he narrowly escapes. And now they have to go back and stop the seventh curse. And they have to do all these wild things and everything like that, including, you know, climb this giant mountain thing would get its eyes to save him and of course there's going to be a monster fight at the very end the gore is going to be amazing when those monsters grab people and rip off their heads and knock out their throats and it's just a bonkers movie like literally i loved every second of it it's like i said an hour and 20 minutes and there's a wild ride to get there there's action there's shootouts there's uh you know adventure indiana jones meets uh curse movies of the, like the weird indonesian thai variety but it has that kind of hong kong flair at the same time where it just like balls to the wall we don't give a shit about ratings deal so, um, yeah, this is a great movie. Um, I really was immensely happy with it. I can't wait to get my new one from 88 Films, the, the deluxe set that comes out in June. And I recommend you guys give that a pre-order if you like weird and wild cinema. And i really like to see The Cat get a Blu-ray release because that movie is just as cool as this one. Um, and there's these two monsters in this movie that I loved. But anyways... This is a really fun movie. Like I said, I can't uh, get into too many details about it because it's just nonstop insanity and weirdness. And I think that anybody that likes monsters or monsters fighting or adventure stuff will really dig this one. But I think the monster, yeah, the monster right here, he's chilling on the back of the, the Blu-ray right there. He is fucking as crazy as he looks. But that's The Seventh Cursed. Loved it from 1986. Okay, I believe this one's from 1993, and I wanted to check this one out. I've seen this before. It was a rewatch. It's been a while. Used to watch these a lot more as a kid. This is Puppet Master 4 from Full Moon Entertainment, directed by Jeff Burr, who kind of did a lot of kind of sequels. He did Pumpkinhead 2. He did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and he also did From a Whisper to a Scream, and he did Puppet Master um, 4. 
4 and 5, as well as Night of the Scarecrow. Jeff Burr, a working director, did a lot of solid stuff on a budget. Let's put it that, you know, and let's say this, Puppet Master 4 and 5 are not the best movies ever made. We know he's working on a budget. We know he shot them back-to-back. And honestly, for that, um, they're much better than they should be. So Puppet Master 4 picks up, not really where the third one left off, which uh, was the Nazi one, of course, taking place as a period piece. So we have this, uh, like, I guess he's like a computer kind of like uh, robotics whiz and he's working in this the you know the Toulon mansion whatever the fucking puppets were in the mansion and he ends up finding them he has a kind of a psychic friend and some other people show up and she helps him find the this the, of course the um, puppet chest he opens it and he uses the serum to bring them back and all the puppets are kind of moving about um the puppets that are in the movie are of course we don't have all of them we're missing leech woman and torch and then we have like of course blade tunneler jester six shooter and pinhead and we also have a new puppet decapitron decapit that's right uh, so, which has some of the worst uh, effects on there when they put his uh, the actor guy ralph's head on decapitron to talk to the new puppet master so what the villains in this one, the puppets are good, similar to part three, on similar to part one and two and six. So what happens is there's these demons that have one point stole the formula from Toulon and they want it back. And they're little, they're little puppets that they send to the real world to kill the scientists that work on robotics. And essentially, um, basically these monsters are going to go after, you know, the, the new puppet master and his friends. And it's up to the puppets to save the day. So this one starts off really entertaining where we have like the demons murder these two scientific characters in the beginning. It's gory. It's well done. And then as it progresses, it starts to lose kind of its steam where there's only like four characters in the house and only one of them dies after that. So the kill count goes down dramatically. And these movies really feel like they're more for kids. And there's just not as much action as you would like, although they're professional looking films. They, they, they are well shot, I mean, especially on a budget, let's say that. And I think Clue Gulliger makes an appearance in this one, if I'm not mistaken. He pops up in one of them, and it's just for a split second. Um, and I can't think if, I don't remember if he's in part four or five, but it's just like a, basically a little cameo. I think it might be in part five. So, yeah, it's part five. Anyways, like, yeah, it's not the most eventful movie. He has, like, a, a prick friend that tries to obviously steal the serum and everything. And it's, it's, of course, they have the psychic element, which we had, I believe, in part one. Like, everybody was, like, kind of a psychic in part one that showed up to the mansion so we could kind of get the backstory. Anyways, it's an okay Puppet Master. I would say that, um, you know, the first five are all watchable for me at least. And then after that, we start to kind of have diminishing returns. Although we have diminishing returns after part three, to be honest. Um, but, uh, I don't hate part four. I kind of enjoy it. I like it. And I can respect what Jeff Bird did with this on a budget. And these movies really feel like they're made for kids, part four and five. And the, the puppets are friendly. I don't know how they got an R rating. The two murders in the beginning, maybe are a little graphic, but there is like these weird demons. Every time one of the like little demon guys gets killed, they go back to their lair in hell or whatever the hell they're wherever they're from. And they like melt. That's cool. Cool. And like the the leader of like this big like puppet thing that reminds me of something from Ozone, uh, but yeah, I like him and it's okay. It's it's not a horrible movie, um, but like I said. It's absolutely hilarious in this when Toulon's head pops up on Decapitron, who is a new puppet, and he's my least favorite of the original eight puppets that actually participate, you know, in the killing and everything like that. So, but it just looks so cheap. He's like, you're the new puppet master. And it's just, I, I just laugh. And, and one of them, I can't remember if it's four or five. They like didn't do a good job on the last one. Like there's too much of Toulon's neck or Guy Ralph's neck showing. So it's like an extra long neck, like <laughs> the Decapitron. And I just couldn't stop laughing. And I just kept 
saying too long, too long. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, Puppet Master Four. It looks really good. They really clean this up. Like I don't even. It just like they have the elements. I was like, oh, Puppet Master Four is looking great on Blu-ray and the, the sound. I was like, this is very impressive for a cheap full moon movie from '93. So the, a lot of their Blu-rays do look really good. Okay, guys, now it's time to hop into those 1994 movies. Prison officials say Dahmer's head may have been bashed against a wall. They have last-minute appeals failed to stop the execution of America's most notorious mass murderer, John Wayne Gacy. Throughout, Chikatilo presented himself as a wretched victim of nature's indifference. Say the truth. The delusion of a disordered mind, a phantom, a spirit, a ghost. Look, he hasn't got any relatives, and the coma he's in is irreversible. Give me a signature and I'll pull the plug now! Fuck off! Okay, guys, you know the first one up from 1994 is going to be Puppet Master 5. That's right. Uh, so all the puppets are back from Puppet Master 4. Puppet Master 4. Um, and now they added Torch. Now, if you try to break down the timeline, I know JP and 22 Shots tried to do it, like where the chronological order is. And we know 2 has to be the last one where Torch was introduced. Uh, so you're like... How the fuck does this work? Like, is Torch, like, go back in time where they find him? He wasn't in part, you know, four. But who cares? It's whatever. So this one basically adds an element of, um... Uh, there's a guy who's like, I don't know if he's a lawyer or he works for the robotics company. He bails uh, our guy out because they think he committed the murders from part four. And he ends up getting uh, all these like goons to try to look for the puppets because they know that they could be the secret to the robotics and a bunch of money. One of the goons, I believe, is Dwayne Whitaker, if I'm not mistaken. Clue Gulliger does make a small cameo in here. So essentially, it's like these four goons who are like the village people of idiots. Like they're all dressed in ridiculous outfits and completely mismatched looking for the puppets until, of course, you know, the demon things come back because they want the, the serum and they pick off all these goons and everything like that um at the same time you know we have toulon popping up as decapitron every once in a while and hilarious like 
effects. And yeah, this one, literally, there's like 40 minutes, and it's like an hour and 20 minutes, 40 minutes, and nobody's dead, and there's like, it's just like, the pacing on this one is pretty bad. Like, you're like, shit needs to happen, shit, people need to be killed, there needs to be kill counts, like, we're 40 minutes in an hour and 20 minute movie, and nobody's dead, there's not been any really significant violence, like, maybe the puppets have knocked down these goons, and it's like, oh, these funny hijinks, again, Puppet Master 5 is a kid's movie, even if it has a rated R on it, it shouldn't be rated R. And again, the very end, there's a super demon, he's like a super tough demon that uh, the th- the big puppet guy put himself into and he's got to face off against the puppets um, there's a lot of cut twos of the puppets just doing stuff that seems completely obsolete like hey and it's just like okay whatever um, it's weaker than part four it's not the worst puppet master it's still watchable again it looks really good and um, as, as far as like a low budget movie on blu-ray would look I think it's, it's pretty solid uh, this one we have the commentary of Jeff Burr, of course, and this one's cool too. Eye on the lens, one eye on the lens, one hand on the puppet, the making of Puppet Master 4 and 5. And uh, we have that interviews with Jeff Burr talking about making two movies at once and all that stuff. But, like, not even back to back at the same fucking time. So, uh, yeah, if you like Puppet Master movies, then check uh, Part 5 out as well. Uh, these are a little bit nostalgia for me. I used to rent these movies all the time and always loved them as a kid. 4 and 5 did not hold up as well as I remembered. 3 still does, I think, to a certain extent, but 4 and five are still watchable and i'm not unhappy i revisited them okay we're gonna do another full moon movie from 1994 now i've already covered this and uh yeah so i don't remember exactly what i said about it but i'm just gonna be very quick with it it is lurking fear hp lovecraft's lurking fear um always love that cover art amazing cover art and i've read this short story which is uh basically about these ghouls that live in a cemetery that are like a, a, a kind of a offspring that lived in the ground from somebody and they become mutated and they eat people now of course this one has a little bit more to it we have a guy who's recently released from prison and he goes back to his old stopping grounds Vincent Chevelli as this uh, undertaker mortician and he tells him hey your pops hid this money inside one of the bodies I have the half the map you have the other half let's let's put our resources together we'll we'll you get 80% I get 20% yada 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 but at the same time Peter Finch uh, with a couple of goons from Frenzy is after the money as well because they ripped it off from his casino and at the same time to make matters worse Ashley Lawrence, Jeffrey Combs and a couple others including a priest uh, want to blow up the cemetery and uh, kind of stop these creatures that are living under the cemetery that have been feeding on this town for a very long time so all these of course are going to meet up in this kind of like church area and try to survive the night there's going to be obviously a lot of fight it's like crime element of course we have the crime element of the money and everything like that. So the, the the performances range. I mean, Jeffrey Combs is really solid in this one. Peter Finch is okay. Vincent Chiavelli is really good. Ashley Lawrence is solid. Some of the other ones are lesser, you know, lesser performances. Not absolutely horrible. Uh, some of the real lower ones are like eh, iffy and everything like that. But uh, the monsters look really great. They have some cool reveals, especially when it's in the confession box. At the very end of the movie, the monsters kind of start talking and uh, giving them that voice. It's kind of like, eh, yeah, it's exposition and we learn things. But at the same time, I'm like, eh, I don't like that deal. Um, I like the setting. I like the story, really. Um, and the idea that there's not that many movies about ghouls eating people and shit like that. Lovecraftian style. I think that's really cool. Um 
Uh, the gore effects are solid for what they are. They're not overly abundant in the film. And if I'm not mistaken, C. Courtney Joyner directed this. I don't remember if I caught that last time. C. Courtney Joyner uh, was a writer on a lot of movies, a handful of films, you know, class of 1999, I believe. Uh, and um, I, I looked that up to, uh, to see because I was like, oh, C. Courtney Joyner, I know him from like contributing to a lot of special features on like film detective stuff. And he's uh, very educated in film and everything. And I imagine it's got to be the same, same C. Courtney Joyner. And he just does a really good job with that kind of stuff stuff and and loves film obviously and he did a pretty solid job on this movie too it's not a poorly directed film at all it looks good um the surround sounds pretty good on here too for full moon you know i mean not even for full moon it's a good surround sound mix like i said a lot of their movies that they actually own that theory master on blu-ray like pump master four and five and this they look good they, they they're they're done really well for like um because you guys got to remember these were like direct to video movies too so that they, they're just shot on film shot professionally it's like oh yeah these are these are much better than they should be much better than the stuff that people make on this budget now i would say um not sure on the budget on this one but you probably can't even get a movie in this budget but uh anyways yeah like the only thing that really kind of uh, causes it trouble is probably you know some of the some of the acting like i said some of the dialogue is is a little iffy here and there but a lot of that probably plays into the budget and everything like that so yeah um there are some special features on here of course audio commentary director c courtney joiner original video zone deleted scenes reel which doesn't have audio unfortunately but uh there's some genuinely creepy stuff in here including like these ghouls coming through your vents and trying to pull babies into the the vents to eat them which is pretty twisted but lurking fear fun, fun movie from full moon definitely worth a watch has like kind of an hbo like tales of the crypt feel to it as well might have played better or something like that but it's still still worth watching short and sweet and yeah good stuff okay next up from 1994 movies is the class of 1999 to the substitute now uh i remember i i, I actually called this one time class of 19 19- uh, class of nine, uh, Newcomb High to the substitute or some shit like that. You get mixed up, all right? Now, I had seen this on TV years ago as a kid. I've always loved Class of 1984 and Class of 1999. Um, big fan of those movies. And this one, you know, it is cheesier. It's a direct-to-video sequel. And uh, yeah, this is a Canadian uh, DVD import that I got years back. So there's a couple names in here that people may recognize. Uh, Nick Cassavetes, of course. And uh, that's, that's kind of it for me, at least. Um, but Class of 1999, to the substitute this is a balkers plot kind of similar to the guest if anybody's ever seen the guest by adam wingard uh wingard so uh essentially what we have here is um apparently all those robots from 1990 class of 1999 weren't destroyed there was one that was never activated somehow it activated and it's been going around to different schools in the nation and killing kids killing gangs and all that kind of stuff similar to what they did in the first movie except there's only one of them and he uh, it goes to the school where you know there's some teachers having a lot of trouble one of them had witnessed like a murder and is going to testify and nobody wants her to do it because she's going to get in trouble the, the cops don't want her to do it the principal don't want her to do it but this new teacher who is very robotic like wants her to do it we also have a guy who's been tracking him who is up you know he wants to get a hold of him and everything like that to stop it apparently we think and then we have uh the boyfriend who i believe is nick cassavetes if i'm not mistaken um who is kind of like this uh, he's a gun enthusiast and he, he runs a paintball company everything like that and he's just not a very good boyfriend let's be honest and there's like these overly violent rapey gangs that go around and and harass the teacher and try to kill her and all this stuff it's more of a you know a thriller i guess than a horror film or anything like that but it's been a long time since i watched it so i wanted to pop it in and uh yeah it, it, there's a decent kill count there's some fun action it's entertaining i'm not gonna lie the uh the killer teacher is really cool 
<laughs> I mean, for what he is. I mean, he does a good job. And it ends uh, kind of in a, in a bigger kind of thing than you think. A lot of people end up killed. A lot of people end up shot. There's some good kills in this movie. And there's a creepy, like, psychological element with the teacher, which I liked. And there's a crazy bonkers off the wall reveal, too. But Class of 1999, the substitute. Class of 1999, the substitute. Uh, you could do a lot worse. I mean, there was a lot of these kind of, you know, crazy teachers killing student movies. You know, the substitute, of course, there's like four of those at the time around this at time but uh yeah anyways this is kind of like direct-to-video like action thriller uh you know semi-sleaze that i enjoyed for the most part uh yeah uh it's fun and you'll know if you'll like it from the trailer or anything like that okay the last one from 1994 i'm going to talk about is dark size blues dark side blues which is an anime and i'd never seen this one so i didn't really know too much about it i popped it in it's not not very long and it's based off a of manga. The one problem with it is there's a lot of story here. So much story that like I was halfway through and I was like, is this going to be like three parts? Am I missing something? Was this never complete? And it's kind of a rush thing. So it, it takes place in some sort of post-apocalyptic world where we have an evil corporation that seems to rule over everything. They've bought all the world's land except 10%. There's like kind of an outline, like a little group of humans that basically live on this 10%. And we have, of course, these rebels that hide in the mountains that are fighting this group. Um, enter this dark side guy. Um, um, who uh, basically just shows up one day and he's going to kind of help them. But uh, the bad guys have a lot of, you know, power as well. They have these crazy kind of like mutant characters that have different powers as well. And we have like uh, this weird kind of, uh, I would say like this uh, Native American style character, shaman character. I don't know how to explain it, but he he's mysterious as well. And he shows up and we also have a rebel who's kind of hiding out with the main characters too. So we have all these different characters that are introduced. We don't really get enough time with any of them, but we get a little bit of glimpses in there and of course the heroes are going to fight the villains and some cool fight scenes i wish we had a little bit more time with the villains to know exactly who they are but there's this weird thing between dark side and the the shaman kind of character that almost seems like sexual tension by the end of the shaman character stuff he's always like i always kind of liked you and it's just weird but i think there is some cool fight scenes in here some cool characters um yeah there's some some violence of course but overall i thought it was a decent anime i i liked it i enjoyed it i just wanted more i think this could have been you know uh, stretched out a little bit more. Um, in the beginning, there's a crazy torture scene where a woman is turned to gold, which I thought was cool. Anyways, it's a decent uh, anime, and it had some cool stuff. I just wish maybe I would like a little bit more. It's kind of a nice little, I guess, look into what the possible manga would be, but I feel like this definitely should have been a little longer than it was, you know, just one movie, and I don't know if it continued the story or not, but I, deal, I did feel a little gypped off by the end of it because I was like, oh, I would like to see more. I, I'd like some of these plot holes filled in and everything like that, but yeah, uh, the bad guys are cool, and I was entertained throughout it um so interesting stuff uh dark side blues not necessarily horror more of like a sci-fi post-apocalyptic but it does have gothic i guess i'd say like horror elements because the character always mysterious and, and like kind of gothic i guess i don't know how to put it but yeah so there it is hey guys we're here for you ain't seen this is my pick for you and I picked John Woo's 1993-1992 uh, action movie, Hard Boiled. Hard. Now, uh, this stars Chow Young-Fat. It has Anthony Wong in it, of course. And some other familiar faces. It actually has one of the five Venoms in here. It does. <laughs> Years down the line, the guy who played the lizard uh, is Mad Dog. And uh, the other actor who plays Alan is a name that's in a bunch of movies, too. He's in a lot of stuff that I, I, I know I've seen him, but not as much stuff as I'm familiar. He's in Hero. You He's said in, he was in Hero. I've seen yeah. Hero, but it's been, you know, the greater part of yeah, a long know, time. 20 years. So, um, Hard Boiled 
is a movie that I initially saw when I was like 17, 16, 17 years old. My friend Corey, Corey Zunk actually made me watch this movie. And I did not remember it correctly. I imagine i remembered blue jean monster in this movie but he wasn't it was actually the the lizard it's been a long time anyways uh i was super excited to watch the double shoot gun thing <laughs> and the the line one of the lines in the beginning when the chief yells at chow young fat who's tequila who's just basically your dirty hairy and i'm not gonna listen kind of rogue cop right. he says put a gun in a man's hand he's a superman put two he's a god <laughs> and if you after the major shootout in the very beginning you just see chow young fat like running around with the double pistols and he's pretty much fucking unstoppable but anyways, there's this amazing tense shootout in like a bird bar where like there's these birds and they it's, keep it's them like up. a dim sum tea <laughs> yeah. shop, yeah, with the birds above the thing. So it's really mm. intense and uh, it's like an undercover sting. It's just really, um, really complicated. And of course, Chow Young Fat's partner dies, um, and this kind of puts him on a rage to stop the the arms dealer who he feels is responsible for it and anthony wong who plays one of his best performances like he's not your typical um well anthony wong's never typical his roles are always completely different which is cool but he's not your uh weirdo psycho from untold story or your goofy guy from what was the uh the strange one from 94 the uh geez it was like he was like a wizard in it or even oh. like the idiot kind of father who becomes hero in underground bunker he always plays somebody different he's never the same he, he plays like like this like nerdy weasley like i wouldn't call him nerdy i would have called him nerdy but like he, he's straight evil He he's evil he's absolutely evil but but he has like a to me, he reminds me of a more, um, less over-the-top Rhodes, if that, like, is just to me, like, he doesn't care, like, he just kills whoever. I, you know, I, I could see that, like, I just feel like he's more, he's less oh. Rhodes. I, um, he's got one of my favorite lines in the movie, when he says, you can't stop me, he's got a thirty-eight, and he, he's like, scuffs, the mm. way he scuffs it, like that, he does it a couple times, it's brilliant, but the movie is just kind of like a, uh, like, I don't even know how to go about it. Like an adventure movie with cops that are like uh, undercover and triads. And it gets real confusing. Who's on whose side people traitoring each other. But the highlight is the amazing action scenes and, and Chow Young fat. Yeah. yeah the, the, I think the action's really fun. I do like, um, the guy that played Alan. I, I think that he, Tony it's probably something. the more compelling character than, um, Chai Young Fat was. I think he has a more interesting storyline than what Chung Young Fat was doing. He has a more emotional storyline. He has one's a more so emotional. And his is more complex, right? And like Chai Young Fat, I mean, you know, he's he's a great actor, but definitely the I think that the other guy steals. I think more of the thunder. I would, in most of the scenes. I like Chai Young Fat because he has the baby scene. And that I do baby like that scene, scene is absolutely beautiful. So the beginning of the movie has the uh, amazing tea shootout where it's just mm-hmm. insane. And there's a bunch of innocent bystanders getting shot. And this was back in 1992, 93, where you have squibs just left and right. And I have never seen so much action and stunts and squibs all in one place in a movie in so long. Like I said, I hadn't seen this in a very long time. And, and the action doesn't slow down. We have the big warehouse shootout, which is absolutely insane. Then we have mm. the boat shootout. boat shootout. And then the last 40 minutes of the two-hour and three-minute runtime or so, two hours and eight-minute runtime, is in a hospital. And it is the most epic terrorist take on a hospital ever. We have about 40 goons in there with police officers and hostages. And we have the five Venoms running around with an eye patch and an underground uh, armory. Like armory. <laughs> and, you know, the doctors that want to cooperate. Um, Those fucking rocket launchers. <laughs> um, I, I, I do like the 
uh, Cha Young Thet's uh, girlfriend in this. I think that she's she, cool too. She has a really neat role in it with um, the roses and everything. With, with the, the roses, roses and getting the messages in. Um, and then you know she she has a bit more. A, a larger part to play, I think, in the ending. Yeah. As does uh, the chief, too. As does the chief, you know, and he's done really well. I will say that I, I, I'm, I'm not big on action movies. Like, action scenes, like, tend to drag on for me. I, I, I guess I just get really disoriented. So, the downside to me is, like, like as much as I like the movie, like, like the hospital scene being as long and drawn out as it is... It, it it was almost like a whole separate movie. Like I I do think that that could have been shortened up to some extent because I I just felt like it should have ended like five times. Everything before about it this ended. movie is great. There is a wonder in the hospital that I don't know how they did, where they literally Chow Young Fat and Alan are walking through Tequila mm-hmm. and Alan are walking through the hallways and guys are popping out and they're shooting them and, and effects and stunts are going off and I was just like. It's it went on for like five ten five six minutes. Well, you see that that's the thing. It's not like there was any part that like you necessarily could cut out, um, but it was just they had so many ideas that it's like it, maybe drop a couple because I like because it is like a good forty five minutes. I love everything about. it. I think it's great. I I mean you know if you're into action movies you, you know maybe it is your thing. Like isn't like. Uh, What's one where you just like like fight in a tower the entire time? The raid, like the raid. You know, I prefer this over the raid, because I'm more of a I like martial arts, and Mm -hmm. I prefer the movie The Night Comes for Us, the one they did, which is it's just a little bit more violent than the raid. Uh, And if you know me, I I like shootouts, but I like hand to hand. But I'm more in the shootouts, especially when we have squibs. But I only you said you didn't like chases either, car chases. Yeah, I don't like car. And chases. And I do like car chases, but I need like guns in the car chases. I don't like cat and mouse. I don't like guns are different though with cat and mouse. There's <sighs> guns. Yeah, you know, I I don't guns, know guns. Yeah, guns. yeah, but I don't know anything about guns, so it's kind of like those Kurtwood Smith and oh, <laughs> but no, but, but my my point in bringing up like like the Raider, like even like the Judge Dredd movie was like, you know, you ha- you have those entire movies are are set in you know, of a tower, and, like, isn't one of the Lethal Weapons too? I think? Or um, lethal, am I thinking? No, one and two aren't in towers. Three, I don't know. All four of them don't have, I don't remember a yeah, tower. But, but, yeah. Die Hard isn't a tower. Maybe I'm thinking Die Hard. Nakatoma Plaza or something. Um, what is that? What's but, it called? But, you know, like, like the entire movie is, like, the beginning, middle, and its narrative is all in one location. But, like, it's that movie. The thing is, like, I, this I think This is that, an epic. This is an epic, but I, I think that it... It was just a whole separate movie from, like, the first half of the movie. Well, it has to have a climax. They have to top the crazy shootout in the beginning. What was your favorite shootout? Well, the know. tea, the hospital, the warehouse, or the boat? The, um, Probably the warehouse, because I think that was probably the most compelling one. That's because they had the boss uncle in there? Well, they had, they had the uncle, and the uncle was kind of, like, shadowing what uh, Chow Young's fat partner had um shadowed about like i, I, I was, was born, born here, here i'm gonna die here. here the uncle does the same thing like you know and you, you know like i said uh the the alan is it alan yeah yeah like his character i think had a far more compelling character than what uh fat's character was doing i was I, kind like, of thrown off by that they have the three re- they have the 38 reoccurring thing where mm-hmm. he's like 38 <laughs> And yeah. then they have the "I was born here, I'll die here," and then of course they have the uh, where Chow Young Fat has to shoot twice. One they, time they have that. that, so they have a lot of that. But but you know, going he has back, to aim really well. Twice the, that that day. aiming and I mean that all happens in the tower scene. It doesn't happen in the first half. It's like I said, there. Well, there those are, is there's a... payups in the beginning that happen. Well, no, not all of it. I mean, the aiming happens in the tower, and the live or die happens before, and then right. the, the the um. 
I was, 38 happens, I think, in the tower. Yeah. What the, but I mean, it's like 45 minutes later. R- right, right. So, so it's like I said, it's really weird. It's like, like this is one movie and this is another movie. Um, the rose motif does carry through the whole movie. Um, and that's how uh, the undercover cop is kind of communicating with the chief of police. Is, is It's really kind of cool because um, he, he's sending lyrics. Yeah. Um, they it, do the code, yeah, and and the like song lyrics, and we figure out the notes and put it in a decipher, and like like it's cool, you know, it's fun, like um, it, it, it creates some great comedy. When yeah. uh, Chang and Fats like, yeah, she doesn't like white roses. She's like, yes, I do, right? Because <laughs> like... they had the whole bickering earlier about like this is a man of taste, yada yada yada. Um, I don't know. Like I said, it was a fun, fine movie. Um, it's a straight video game. Like half it, this it movie, is, like the shooting, even breaking down the door. We have to think right. of how to shoot it. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. I love this thing. This thing was one of the best. I haven't watched an action movie this good in years. Like besides, I watched RoboCop this week, which is an action movie this good because. But action sci-fi, RoboCop's different. Right, RoboCop's right, different right. Yeah. But um, in ah, just had a good week so far. Two great ones like that. And I also watched All Puppet I watched... Master 5 this week, which and 4, which aren't horrible, but, you know, they're we not. We watched Fed Anime, then. You know. It was okay. But, I mean, those, <laughs> like, you watch, you watch Hard Boiled and, like, Seventh <laughs> Curse of Robocop, and you just watch this bonkers cinema, and then you, like, pop in Puppet Master 5, and you're like, yeah, no. lackluster on that, right? But, uh, I, I mean, I thought this movie was great. We watched the Dragon Dynasty release, which I know is not, I, there's, the problem with a lot of these Chow Young Fat movies, I mean, John Woo movies, is, like, they're like, which releases, or what the fuck's cut what has the better sound quality so i i didn't think the sound mix was too great on this one to be brutally honest like for how loud and explosive the sound mix was not particularly good it was very standard uh, well, I, standard I wonder sound. if um well maybe was, the american one might be a little bit different like the, i mean like the i think the version well i think that the, the it had uh the cantonese or whatever it was in the two point and then the uh english in 5.1 but i'm not gonna watch a hong kong or chinese movie in english unless it's kind of like an old school martial arts movie because i feel like those in the italian flicks in the day i think they kind of feel like it it just feels right to me there's like an aesthetic to it. this one no like the cat three movies no they don't feel right to me they need to be in their native language for most movies and even most of the Godzilla movies I, I do, unless it's Godzilla 85, then I must have it in English. <laughs> of course, duh. But, um, I, I mean, I love this movie. Um, there's another one he did called The Killer, which is another one that I, I... He's in a bunch, but this is the one that I would like compare to that I've seen. As, uh, I think Chow Young Fat in it as well. And that one has the Blue Jean monster in it. I was mixing a lot of stuff up. That's a really good movie, too. I, you know, I'm, I'm not too familiar with, like, Chinese cinema in general. Like, aside from, like, the stuff I've seen, like, here and there. But I don't necessarily, like... Chinese cinema has never been, like, a thing for me. You well, know what I mean? So, like, I like I know who, who like, Chow Young Fat is. Like, the, the big names I recognize, but I, I think I also recognize them more for, like, their roles in, like, American movies. And less so... Well, I think Chow Young Fat ended up being in the replacement killers, wasn't he? And was he in the? They, oh, I have no idea. I couldn't stuff. tell. I, I mean, I'm not an expert Chow Young Fat. I only know him from the John Woo stuff. I'm also and, not an action film guy, yeah. so it's I'm really kind of like cutting out a whole lot of. Uh... Well, John Woo had a career in America yeah. too. I mean, he yeah. did the Mission Impossible Part Two. He did Face Off. He did Hard Target. Which are all action movies, so it's kind of like... Uh... I, I'm definitely going to pick Hard Target <laughs> for you eventually. Hard, hard Target was the one that... Um... He did right after this, and that's the one co-directed by Sam Raimi with Jean-Claude Van Damme and that's Hendrickson it. and Wolford Brimley. I wasn't expecting... Um, what's his name to be a big character based on what you said last week? Anthony Wong? 
Yeah. I forgot. He I right, forgot right, he was the he, main villain. I thought he was a I remembered him as a goon. Yeah, cuz cuz when he pops up, I'm like, well, he might be in like this scene or another. I'm like, "Oh no, he's actually in, in were the you, whole Were you movie. happy? He I was, was happy. Yeah, was and he had the big gun at the end. You know, cause, cause, you know, he, he he's fun. Um, you know, I just like his dynamic and you know, he he goes. I think he probably goes through a more complex character change or yeah, arc. I thought you were my friend. Um, that makes me mad. Right. Then then some of the other characters. You, you know, Charlie Young Fat is just Charlie Young Fat. You know, that's the dirty Harry stuff. Yeah. The the Allen guy, not not even so much. You know, because once you find out, like I thought that the story might have worked better if he actually wasn't an undercover cop. He was a triad that had a change of heart. See, I don't know what a triad is, but... It's weird that they're triads, which I believe is a Japanese gang, from my understanding. but Or is that Yakuza? That's Yakuza, yeah. Yakuza. But triad is Japanese, too? Yes, no? Or is it Chinese? Well, or is well, triad's it not a, in general? Triad's not a Japanese word. Triad just means three, I think. Um, but that would have to reflect probably like three families, three, like a mafia-style thing, right? Well, see, so that's like, I don't know what a triad is. I just I'm know it's it a gangster movie. criminal organization with the triads, right? I had I, not that I'm aware of. I, I I've never heard that word spoken. A lot of video games and movies, they're triads. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know. The, the only thing I could think of is that he's probably working for three different agencies, but I don't know. Well, triad like, is mean, a gangster element. Yeah, it could be. I, I again, I don't. I, I don't know, know a triad is considered like a, a gangster. Oh, okay. Like that's okay. A, that, yeah. That's why yeah. he's a, a triad hitman, like a mafia hitman, but Chinese mafia. But I don't think it's called that. You know, it's a. I don't know what the different criminal organizations are of triad. Right, is right. A generic yeah. term for gangster or just a certain cr- gang element. Like we know yakuza, we know mafia. Right. I think triad is similar to that, or maybe it's a generic term. I don't know. Oh yeah, I have no idea. Um, I mean, I, I really thought that, like, when they were saying it, like, I thought it was like, oh, he's working for three people. No. Like, you but know. maybe, I'm trying to say, maybe the organization was initially named after three families coming together to create an ultimate criminal organization. You know, like, the mafia had, like, the six families and shit like that. Or oh, it might, it might be. I don't fucking know the history of, of the criminal organization right, right. like that, okay? I know basics. <laughs> very basics. Like, but, but I guess what I mean is, like, it probably would have been better if he actually was, like, a villain... Not so much undercover cop, and the, like. Well, that complicates going... it with the chief and stuff, though. And it, makes... it does complicate it with the chief, um, but I think you would have had like more compassion for his character, and maybe even to some extent, like a better relationship between him and Chai Yun Fat. Um, well, more like dynamic, joining forces. But I, I was fine with it. I, I mean, yeah, saying, it was it's fine. Not, it doesn't bother me, right? Um, I like the way it unfolds. Uh, yeah, I don't have any negatives. I would give it a ten out of ten. I think it's perfect. I, I mean, you know, it's it's not my genre of movie. Um, it's definitely like to me, I'd probably give it like a three, but like it's it's clearly like at least a four star movie. A out of three. Five. I, okay, again, threes aren't bad movies to me. Threes are very like it's yeah, a run of the mill. This isn't like oh, it wasn't bad. This is like this is great. This is like this. <laughs> But I, you know, th- three to me two is... guns at the same time down the fucking that only staircase. happened in no, one that scene. happened a bunch of times. Uh, Whenever down the staircase, two... at one point I think he had a shotgun and a pistol. Somebody did. Yeah, not not him. But he went down the fucking ramp. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, like like to me, like a three star <laughs> movie is like railing. Again, With it's it's not my it's not my pistols. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah. Like four, like three or four, five out of five. Okay. Uh, what what are we doing next week? Um, next week. Oh, I I, I want to do Mothra. Mothra. I've never seen Mothra. I've always been curious. 
I've already seen Mothra. Well, you know, you should have watched it with me then instead of popping up these movies that, you know, I, right. I would clearly like. Did <laughs> you want to do Mothra or you want to do Mamma Mia? I'll give you a choice, motherfucker. Mothra. Okay, yeah, good. Then <laughs> we're doing fucking Mothra. <laughs> it had to be an M, Can't you know what Rodan? I mean? Rodan? No, I, no, I, I wanted, I've never <laughs> seen Mothra. I've seen Rodan anyway. I've never seen Rodan. You've never seen Rodan? Oh. Well, we're doing Mothra because um, I think I Mothra looks cute. I want to do Gigan. Guy, what's Gigan? He fights the guy, though. I don't know if he has a movie. I doubt he does. Okay, <laughs> Mothra's next week. Yeah. We're done. Done. Bye. All right, let's get into all these questions, comments, concerns. Last week I asked you, do you guys have any experience with disc rot, which apparently is like a mold that gets into some DVDs uh, due to maybe possibly extreme temperature changes or moisture or heat or something like that, humidity. So I asked that and because I noticed something weird with one of my, some of my Shriek Show DVDs. Now I don't know if some of them times those like old DVDs were pressed poorly and they had this weird look on the back of the case. And I feel like some of them actually had that even before, when they were brand new. So it's iffy. And uh, the couple of the Shriek Show DVDs that I had that had that that I thought was possibly mold is more of a cloudy look, which could be mold. But they played perfectly fine with no, no problems. So I'm wondering if it's something else, maybe just poorly manufactured DVDs. Could have a problem later on down the line, but not having one now, but just ask anybody if they experience disc mold. And we got a different bunch of different answers. Ken Coakley, it's hard to know if any of my movies have disc rot. I may end up checking my movies when I get out of the nursing home. It's been so long, so if there's any that won't be, it won't be from overuse. I, I baby my movies and try to make it a point to not let people think that I run a video store. One of the guys here wanted to borrow Midsommar a few months ago, and he still hasn't returned it. Before the rehab, a neighbor wanted to borrow some movies for his grandchildren, and the first thing I thought of was peanut butter and jelly that went head up on the disc. I stopped letting people borrow my movies after I hit about, you know, like I started collecting seriously. Like I always been collecting, but like I remember just like you'd have to ask people for it. And I was just like, that's enough. I'm tired of it. I worry about it. They're going to get shit on it. I'm just, no, you're not borrowing it. Sorry. David Scott. If you were only able to watch movies from one of these actors for a whole month and it was between Steven Seagal and, or Jean-Claude Van Damme, who would you choose? Easy, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I like his movies more and I grew up with them. Uh, Steven Seagal probably has like 10 movies that I would enjoy. Seagal, uh, Van Damme maybe have 15. So uh, David Scott, he said, I did make this comment before uh, watching full episode. I think you may have answered it during Blind Spot. Oh. Eddie Daniels, I always enjoy your reviews and recommendations. Your vintage opening with the music from Zombie made me smile. So nostalgic. I'm glad that I found this channel again after so many years. Th thank you for watching. Zach Nolan, great answers about movie props. Blood-crusted crucifix from Exorcist was hilarious. RB, you switched the outro as your intro, mixing things up on us. I always loved the 94 Frankenstein and never had got the hate, but I know people have different opinions. My absolute favorite character in the movie is the old blind man played by Richard Ryers. I love the relationship between him and the monster. Great show as always, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, the monster and stuff is... You just wish we got a little bit more of it, to be honest. Derek D., I don't know if it's disc rot or just some kind of separation, but my Malabimba DVD from Severn had some funky, some funky going on. It had a milky look between the disc layers. It plays fine, though. Autumn Blood. Honestly, I don't know if it's how I store them, but never had disc rot myself. I have had films give up the ghost due to wear and tear from previous owners, but not disc rot. Well, so far, LOL. Loved yours and Jeremy's review for A Little Shop of Horrors. I still haven't seen the director's cut ending, which I know is a fault of mine. Really need to get that, but I agree. Some films don't work as well on later endings, and I always, uh, and I always thought the theatrical ending felt abrupt, so I may prefer the bleaker conclusion. As always, thank you for your awesome channel, new subscriber, and I've loved every video so far. Thank you very much. Nikki Brown, really like the new show. I like your style and originality and feel your guests do too. 
Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much, Nikki. Uh, Inventicus Antithesis. Let's go. First comment. What's your thoughts on star- starring and directing in a movie at the same time? Does that diminish the acting or directing having to take on a double role? For a low-budget movie, it might not be a big deal. For massive blockbuster movies, it probably would be a huge problem. No, I, I think it's the opposite. I think that um, when you're directing something, you're super stressed. I was always stressed out, and I would always have a small role in it just because it was easier just to be yourself, just to have it in there. But I could never concentrate on my lines or the performance, really, because I was thinking about the movie. So, like, if you were a big movie, you could be like, well, I, c- I could hire a cinematographer that's world-class and excellent, and I, I can trust. Like, in a low-budget movie, half the time, you're the cinematographer, too. So, like, I feel like on an ending movie, it would be even harder to do. Or a, I think that it, you could have diminishing uh, stuff on certain people. Certain people pull it off, but I mean, Mel Gibson does it, but you know, he's hiring the best cinematographer. He's hiring the best script. All these people, they're going to be top notch. Half the time in an independent movie, nobody's getting paid, so they're your friends. Nick Moore, dear sir, luckily I have never experienced disrot. I've had the occasional DVD malfunction because of scratches. Maybe old age. Questions one. If you could travel to any time period, uh, a la last night in Soho, which period would it be? Oh, uh, probably the seventies. Uh, two. Sometimes actors just throw in the towel. Which actor you you love has called it quits? Much to much to your regret. Bruce Willis. I know maybe not retired, but he definitely has called it in. Now I heard recently that somebody said that they were saying he has dementia or Alzheimer's or something. Is starting to forget his lines, which makes me sad, and I can understand what now a little bit more. For me, it's Everett McGill. Um. Oh, you mean quit quit? Um. I, I just mentioned that I would like to see Rick Moranis act more, but I, I, I'm happy people are retiring and not having to, you know, die while they work. Do you prefer prosthetic makeup or zombies or very good CGI zombies? Prosthetic makeup on zombies. Any day. Excellent show as always. Now you've got two of them going. Don't work too hard, though. All the work, no play. Just make Dave a doll boy. Imagine Jeremy's displeasure if his life actually became a Stephen King movie. He'd probably kill me at the first sign. Uh, Christian Mickelson, he says only DVDR stuff. Uh, what happens the most is cracks in the center from shitty cases, no doubt. And then they've ripped the fucking plastic and sometimes the the fucking cover art. James D. Cox, from what I'm aware of, zero. Marco Vintian, uh, James D. Cox, all the films which I have lent you from you having that issue, I am keeping them so you don't have to deal with them. Mark Humphreys, thankfully, no, I've never experienced it. Still have DVD DVDs from Tales of One in my collection when I started buying. Sam Edwards, only a uh, couple older, cheaper discs. Sean Donahue, yes. Also, some of my cases have deteriorated and turned to dust in my hands. Seth Poulin, nope. I have experienced rotten discs, however, but that was mainly anything Mac Brewer recommended. Oh, burn. Uh, Robert Luciano, definitely, and it sucks. Zach Buccinelli, not may, not many, maybe three. Salvador Funkenstein, the only one I know of was a CD. Only mentioned it because it was a soundtrack. Ordered a brand new sealed digipack of Goblin Score for Dario Gentoo Sleepless. Notice the rod after opening and certain tracks won't play. Check those digipacks. Any old releases I should check up on? I would maybe look at your Shriek Show disc. Ruby Delgado, not at all. Um, so, Ronald Pastillo, he Posted a gif of uh, angriness. Keith Larson, hopefully none of my rare horror gems get that, but no, Jesus, this shit, this shit that keeps me up at night, and it definitely is too. Sean David Petrie Holland, uh, Keith Larson, you should rip them to a hard drive because it ha- also happened to me a few times. Emil Levin, yes, two or three of them, rare ones too, sucks. We got some more pages stuck together. Uh, Justin Morales, only my Blu-ray of House of Thousand Corpses. Apparently, Discrot was an issue with a bunch of early Lionsgate Blu-rays, but fortunately, my other movies were okay. 
Sean David Petrie, yes, several times. Uh, Adrian Roberts, nope, not ever. Jacob B. Green, not yet. Stuff like that is my worst nightmare. Jason Lindbergh, nope. Vincent Pierre, uh, Pernina, yes, in fact, there was a string of releases for Manca Bay circa 2000-2001 that had a defective liqueur that resulted in them rotting, quickly rotting and becoming unplayable. Their release of Dario Gentu's opera was one of the affected titles back then. There has also been some Blu-rays that have bronze to become unplayable, including some Criterion releases that needed a replacement. Days of Heaven was one. Matthew L. Furman, some of my discs no longer exist. Rob Kokinski, none that I'm aware of. It happens, but I've never experienced it myself, thankfully. I wonder, though, what are the two, three biggest contributors to disc rot? Uh, Anthony, I would say temperature, humidity, and just poorly constructed disc. Anthony Padilla, wait, disc rot? Um, Tim Walker, nope, I've had a DVD player since like 2001 and never seen it happen. 20 year, plus years and no dice. Michael Fisher, none of mine have. Thomas Gleba. I had to rebuy a House of Thousand Corpses on Blue. The disc delaminated, or at least looked like it. Jordan Bibby, I thought that it only happened with DVD-R and Sega Saturn Disc. Doug Schultz, lots of Warner stuff from 2006-2008. All dual later. Don't buy anything from those years without being able to check first. Shirley Reels, never heard of it until just now. David Gibson, I have only had it on Burn Disc. Stephen Nemeth, your mom is a Burnt Disc. A Sebastian Shanjaro Aries, uh, yes, many Lionscape Blu-rays circa 2006 uh, to 2009. And DVDs from New Line Cinnamon Anchor Bay. Christopher DeZuba, nope. Eric uh, Reif Snyder. Oh, yes. Dual later Warner Brothers disc malfunction from 2006 to 2000, uh, August 2006 through May 2008. And big offenders of rot. I've had 20 succumb to it. Someone even made a YouTube video on the issue. Donald Plepp. Out of 12,875 DVDs and Blu-rays, I've never seen disc rot. I started in 99 with DVDs. Colin Stone. Yeah, Media Blasters and Tree Show Disc were pressed in processing plan, it seems, as everyone had trouble with them, including myself. Uh, Eric Reiser shows a bunch of... He posts a large thread about people with disc from Warner Brothers and one if the 20 I've had he shows another a couple pictures of them Brandon Jones put a gif of all of them okay and he says uh, he posted a video again of somebody showing the Warner Brothers disc rod issues so Eric uh, uh, Alex Barfly James how do you avoid it I, I would say keep moisture and just uh, some of the discs I don't think you'll be able to avoid Aaron Mazzola no uh, Dagger Renau, my rare Sid Barrett bootleg was completely devoured. Colin Stone, faceless on Shriek Show, bloodsucking freaks on Troma. Tom Horsball, never. Mark Bessinger, not on DVDs, but on Laserdisc, yep. I've had it on Laserdisc too. Robert Cruz, yep. Had it happen on the Warner Brother produced DVDs released in the mid 2000s. A few discs on Full House and Wonder Woman, the complete series. Warner Brothers has kind enough to send replacements free of charge, and all those work fine now. Dylan Young, yeah, a handful of them. Mark Krasenzik, no, but I have had one or two Laserdisc. Jacob Davidson. Thankfully, no. Eric Whining, surprisingly, no. And a lot of DVDs are over 20 years old now. Dustin Hubert, I was rotating titles last week and pulled the case off the shelf to move it down, you know, the shelf below, and the armory literally crumbled in my hands. Not seen disc rot, though, yet. I've had that happen, too. I went to move a disc, and it literally just broke in my hands, and I was like, what the fuck? And it was one of these, like, Cat 3 Hong Kong title discs, so it was, like, longer than it should have been, so I couldn't replace it. I had to use another disc from one of those that I didn't, that I had upgraded to better DVDs that I didn't really need to have it anymore, so it's kind of a pain in the ass. Jesse Bard, the three-disc set of Rocky or Picture Show plus Shock Treatment. Shock Treatment has no blemishes or scratches, but freezes up one scene where there's no problem when I first purchased it. Uh, Mame, the Lucille Ball movie, is the similar problem. No scratches or blemishes, but still skips when it never did when I first got it. Strange thing is the cloudy disc thing did happen to my thoroughly modern Millie, and it plays just fine. Just depends on the disc, but none are mold. None are made on demand, he says. Sorry. 
yeah, so I guess we're going to hop. Oh, next, this week's question. Since I've been covering a lot of Shaw Brothers movies, I want to know what Shaw Brothers movies do you want on Blu-ray that have not been released on Blu-ray? I know 88 Films is doing a lot of them, and, of course, Arrow is doing a lot of them. Arika is doing a lot of them. What Shaw Brothers movies do you want on Blu-ray that we haven't got yet? And now we're going to hop into that update. Okay, let's hop into this update. First up is Backwoods Marcy. That title right there, right? This is Saturn's core, of course. She's homeless and hungry for sex and blood and revenge. Who isn't? Uh, yeah, this looks ridiculous. Uh, I have not seen this movie. I'm not familiar with this movie. It's got to be a wave production, right? It's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, yeah, so this is one I'm not familiar with. I, I look forward to checking it out. Um, next up, we have a Yellow Veil title here. This is The Long Walk. This I don't know too much about, but like the uh, the... The uh, Yellow Veil titles have looked really uh, interesting so far, so I guess I'm collecting these now too. So, yeah. An old scavenger living on the fringes of a near-future society acquires the ability to transverse through time thanks to the ghostly companion whose death he witnessed 50 years earlier. In order to appease his soul, he decides to trespass into his own past, setting in motion a plan to prevent his mother's terminal suffering. Sounds very depressing and interesting. Something that I would enjoy. Uh, then we have Ode to Nothing, um, which is, who is this? Um, so many freaking partner labels here that I just can't keep track. Connie, uh, I can't keep track of all these ones. Like when they, they do the partner labels, I go through, I read a little bit about them and I decide whether or not I'm going to purchase it. This one, I guess, passed the test. So, uh, another crazy ass double feature here. Hollywood's new blood. Uh, this movie's nonsense. Uh, where acting dead can be fatal. And this is a culture shock. It also comes with Slash Dance, which is a nonsense movie. So it's a double feature here. Uh, Hollywood New Blood and Slash Dance. Um, yeah, so essentially I believe these are probably SOV. Uh, the presentation of Slash Dance is an HD up-res from the original one. Video Master Hollywood's New Blood is an HD up-res from the best available video source. Film elements for both films are lost, which is what I was thinking because Culture Shock put this out on DVD. And I wasn't going to buy until I realized that Hollywood New Blood's also on there, which has one of the most ridiculous um, title songs ever, if I'm not mistaken. Then we have Pathogen, which is from Agfa. Uh, yeah, this one looks pretty cool. Looks research gone uh, a wire. Uh, <laughs> I always say that word wrong, too. Kid can't even read. Results in zombies walking the streets of Austin. A scientist and middle school uh, student may have the keys to solving the mysterious illness. The story follows their journal journey to avoid being infected or attacked before finding a safe place. Now, is this one of the ones where it was the young girl who made this one? And then they had the documentary about it. My my friend's on. Yeah, yeah, this is the one for sure. Uh, yeah, cool stuff. Uh Emily Haggins basically made this. She has shorts on there. It's a bonus movie. Zombie Girl, the movie, a feature-length documentary. Yeah, this is the actual movie she made there. So, interested to check that out. I love my zombies. Uh, then we have a Vinegar Syndrome uh, archive here. Uh, Talons of the Eagle. Talents of the Eagle. Um, when you're fighting crime, killing is a way of life. Is that Billy Blanks on there looking really intense? It is. This looks nonsense. Uh, weird, weird cover. It feels a little strange on here. Like this is not typical of them. Honestly, the uh, video archives usually, it just feels the front feels a little like pasted on. That's the first time I've ever seen that from them. But anyways, uh, I love video archive stuff. They look great as, as far as, uh, 
the releases are concerned. I like the outer shell. I know a lot of people don't care for it, but I enjoy it. I know some people are worried that it like rips their case and stuff like that. So next up we have Unhinged. It was dirt cheap, and I was thinking about it. Somebody posted a picture of it, and I was like, I don't have that, and I really liked it. I love Russell Crowe in here doing his best John Goodman. Amazing actor, amazing performance. Bam. I don't think you know what a bad day is. Really entertaining. Um, next up, we have Armor of God with Jackie Chan from 88 Films. Now, James L. Edwards was a big fan of this one, and uh, caught my interest. A nice deluxe edition here. Looks freaking awesome. Looks like a blast. I need to see more Jackie Chan. So, Armor of God is now in my possession. Uh, next up, we have uh, from 88 Films, uh, The Bride from Hell which uh, is one of the horror movies I didn't have from them, the imports. So I I picked this one up. Uh, Yeah, don't know too much about it. I tried to get all their horror films from 88 Films, the the Asian ones. So, yeah. And then last up is a DVD, which I thought I was getting a Blu-ray. My mistake. Uh, Let's stop at the morgue. Uh, I think I will definitely check this out and then upgrade if I really like it to the Blu-ray if it's not sold out. This is a Sam Hell movie. So, yeah, I hear it's pretty crazy. Surprise! There's no nudity on the back. Well, there's animated nudity. I'm not going to count that. But yeah, this I guess less more less fetish stuff, more horror oriented. Um, there is kind of some nudity on there, but you can't register it. So, anyways, uh, yeah. So that's the update. Let's hop back to the video. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one.